The following program features language some listeners may find offensive. Listener discretion is advised. Yo, what's going on? This is B-Boy Slamo from Stalin the Pressure Crew. We're getting into it on the Hip Hop Cymru Wales podcast. Let's go. Listening to Hip Hop Cymru Wales, a podcast exploring the trails and untold tales of Welsh hip hop. My name is Luke Bailey and I'm a podcaster, best known for the Fly Fidelity podcast. And I'm talking to key players about the notable and nuanced evolution of Welsh hip hop history. Welcome to the program. This episode, we're joined for a candid and rare interview with Charlie Barker, aka Slamo, a true school b-boy from South Wales, rapping hip-hop strong since 1983. Yeah, my name is B-Boy Slamo, a.k.a. Slam LZ. Um, I started being introduced to breaking back in the early 80s. 83, 84 uh, was really when uh, I first started seeing it more so on TV. Um, but yeah, I, I saw it in, 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 in real life. Um, Breck and Jazz. Um, Breck and Jazz was like a, a big thing back in the 80s. So um, <clears throat> there was dance and culture. And I guess, um, yeah, I, you know, it, it's hard to know what each city or each town was going through in the early 80s, but it's safe to say that everywhere had an explosive, infectious, incredible, vibrant scene. And, uh, you know, if nothing else, every kid in school was wearing a, like, windbreaker. So, you know, it, 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 was, it was very much the, uh, the main sort of time of, of it. Um, but I was six or seven, so for me... Well, between six and seven. Um, for me, I wonder if I take you home, Lisa, Lisa, Colt, the jam is when I first recognized myself as breaking. Um, I'd say that track was significant in terms of bringing me into the breaking world, even though it wasn't a breaking track. Uh, they had like the, a couple of them were in breaking positions, you know, footwork positions on the cover. So, yeah, it was kind of like, you know, I was young, I was impressionable, and that, that explosive imagery in uh, Woolworths, <laughs> where you could buy like a 12-inch for 99p maybe, I think it was. Mm. Um, yeah, that was like when I first really felt it, you know. But I don't know if that um, comes after or before me meeting H2 and <laughs> the crew called Beat Street. Uh, you had the Uplands boys, and then you had the Flam Base Boys and the River Hondi uh, separated it. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, the H, you know, came from from, from that. Um, 
yeah, Beach Street. Well, I think they got that from the film. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that was that was it. But you know, they wore red. H two wore blue. Uh, they were older guys, but definitely that's you know still a childhood thing to do, right? Um, they were like cartoon characters. So yeah, but I, I don't I don't really know which came first. But yeah, I remember meeting those guys um, at the Brecon Jazz doing a 180 swan dive, I've said it a million times, but like doing a 180 swan dive into the circle, I think I banged my chin. I don't remember anything else other than getting up and, and there being like an appreciation to it. Um, <clears throat> there was PC Noel Penny, uh, the, the Penny boy's uh, father. He, he was there and he was good spirited. And uh, Jeff, one of the twins from Beach Street, he, he did a head spin uh, in the police helmet. Um, and the, and everyone went wild, and that that was that was like my first meeting of them, but also like a, you know one of those first blow up moments in, in a circle, right? So, you know that that record Lisa Lisa called the jam, that moment in Brecon Jazz, uh, which led to going up the uplands to to, to train at uh, Stu Clark's uh, garage, and then working Men's Club came sort of after that. Um, it was a under 18s monthly or bi-weekly disco. I can't I can't remember. Um you had Brian Pross on the turntables. My sister Tina would take me down. The committee agreed that I could go, but I had to leave by I think nine. Brian Pross would put on an electro record one side, then quick quick quickly cross over the crossfader to another side of another electro. And then it would go back to, to Pow or Madonna or Europe or whoever else but yeah they're the most prolific like incredible moments for me in that time um after that the older guys kind of moved on uh they started BMXing well they were BMXing when I when I when I got into breaking so some of them progressed in that um big up Jonah legend um they progressed in that and uh, others kind of went into the skating route Stu Jeff and Rich went into the, the skating route and H2, I don't really know what really happened to them. I, I mean, I stay in touch with some of them, but yeah, I don't, I don't remember like them being around uh, in, in, in a sort of subculture after that. I could be wrong, but right. um, it was, you know, there's mods and rockers around at that time as well. And then you had the introduction of the football casual. So, you know, there was, there was all sorts going on. But um, yeah, my breaking uh, side kind of progressed from there, uh, more so on my own. And then introducing new people that I found friends with uh, as I went from primary to high school. Um, but like even in primary school, I used to run the school discos um, and basically demand the mic. Uh, I remember once <laughs> rapping over Cookie Crew Rock, the house instrumental uh, with like a St. John's ambulance uh, guy um, in his uniform DJing. I think he just finished work. And uh, I had Matthew Penny come on and... Uh, yeah, I got him to say a few rhymes. He wasn't a rapper at all. In fact, he's an undertaker now. <laughs> but um, I got him to say some rhymes. I said some rhymes. Uh, and then I threw down on the floor, uh, did a windmill, looked up, boom. It's Rebecca Jenkins. That felt like the king. So, you know, I carried on the breaking thing. Um, I think later on, you had things like uh, on the Bass, you know, Obviously, much later that is late late eighties, but I was still involved. I remember doing routines with Graham Probert, Rochelle Lane, all of which uh, Stuart Padmore, all of which I don't know if they intended to do this or wanted to do this, but they became my partners <laughs> on Wild Quests. Um, 
And then, yeah, high school, went into high school, uh, breaking, still breaking. One funny story in high school, uh, the Celine marching band, Freckens um, twinned with uh, Celine USA. And the Celine marching band came to town and they had some B-boys and we got into it on the playground. But there was always this blanket policy in primary and comp. If you break down to the playground, it's like some sort of health and safety risk or something. So you were always forbidden from doing it. Um, so it went off, teacher blew a whistle, kind of broke us up. And it was, it was a bit like uh, a Beat Street scene, really, like because yeah. it was like, see you tonight. And it's like, oh, shit, we can't go to that because <laughs> it's a school disco for parents and children of right. those hosting the Celine marching band members. So it's like a private affair. So I remember we had to climb up onto the second roof and hide and then like in the evening climb down through the back of the main theater, uh, sorry, stage theater area. Uh, <laughs> pretty much abseil for about three or four meters, I think, to, to, to lower ourselves in. And we sort of snuck into the jam. Uh, we opened up a cipher and we actually battled them. It didn't happen as romantic as that. There was a lot of things and, and time before that happened, but it pretty much was that. We just rocked up, had this battle and, uh, the funny thing was the teacher, the head teacher, Mrs. Owen, she actually broke it up, stopped the music, had this massive, massive school assembly statement and then locked me in her office and called the police <laughs> because I wow. was the bad guy. I was the bad guy coming to dance, you know? So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. And then I think after that, like I did get down a little, um, yeah, right, Gareth Bennett, easy three now, but, used to be called the graphics actually wasn't even that then he was just he, he was just gareth bennett he called me out of the school disco which really i was outraged about that it's like how dare you do you know what i mean but yeah he was dope and he became like my best friend um we didn't carry on dancing so much we went down the mc route that was that was our thing so we went down that route and uh, we set up mmp midnight productions um midnight mafia um and that was Love like <clears throat> that was mc based and we were skating a lot so skateboarding um raving <laughs> lots of raving i think i think that came a little bit after but yeah skating uh umtv raps um yeah and mc in, in his little bedroom with just turntables and two giant bass speakers um right. some sort of like old bottle inside another bottle device but i never knew what that was um and then just artwork, artwork all over the ceiling, graph on the ceiling, graph on the walls, like everywhere. Like um, food packaging, for the takeaway packaging, stuff down the side of the bed. It's proper boy stuff, do you know what I mean? But <laughs> 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 so, so yeah, so like by that, by that point, you know, in the 90s, I, I, I wasn't really breaking. I was dancing. I was dancing at raves, and I guess I break a little bit at raves. But, you know, I wasn't... I could footwork, I could windmill, I could turtle, but like nothing like the turtles you see today. Um, I could do sort of like one-footed swipes, but not great. You know, I had I had a lot of good things, but, I, but what I did have was like character and funk, and I was always expressive and animated. So, you know, I, I would replicate what I saw very easily. Um, you know, I didn't struggle too much. Like I would go back and forth with VHS, trying mm. to get to the bit where I just remember to and then go forward and like, you know, catching it like that. But... I was pretty mm. good at picking it up, but it was one directional. I didn't understand that footwork <laughs> goes in both directions and power can go in both directions. Even skating, then it was like, you know, regular or goofy, never switch. So, yeah, it was, it was, uh, 
it was a funny one, really, because, yeah, I, I guess then, apart from maybe a handful of times, maybe at a wedding, I remember dancing on, uh, like, a picnic towel with a Peter Storm on with the hood up while Rich and his dog Lumpy watched in the sun, and I was doing, like, windmill, uh, windmill to high-rise and stuff. But, yeah, it was, like, even then, I'd moved on from that, do you know what I mean? Like, that was something I did back in the day when I was younger. Um, so I didn't realize that it was continually going in different pockets of the world. I didn't realize there was like other people like me. I didn't realize, I just didn't have a clue. So yeah, it was, a, it was a horrible thing to realize that when, when, when I did come back, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a journey of time where I guess, you know, probably it's gotta be eight to 10 years where I didn't really dance or break. I probably dance. I, I used to dance a lot. I was, I was always dancing like whether it was what is now like known to me as like traditional house dancing or, you know, different social dances really. But again, not, not trained, not accurate. I'd watched some of Soul Train uh, around Tissot's house and stuff like that. So I, I, I had a funky style, but, you know, it, it wasn't until 2003 when I came back that, uh, that it was all about the dance and, I was opened to this world that, you know, was, was going to take me on a wild adventure and like take over my life, man. It was like, wow. yeah, it was explosive, explosive. I mean, you can't really change the past. It's pointless asking, would you? <laughs> but if you could, if Bill and Ted, Ted rocked up now and said, yo, jump in, we'll take you back a little and you can sort yourself out. Would I change it? I don't know. Yes, because it would have called, uh, saved a lot of heartache and pain, but no, because I wouldn't have committed to the youth work in the way that I did. If I'm honest, it starts really with my late, my last jail sentence. My last jail sentence was a, um, it was an interesting one because it wasn't an awful long time. It wasn't, you know, I've never served a long time in prison, but one day is a long time. So, yeah. um, you know, I think I'd done 10, 12 weeks or something, but I'd been transferred to an open prison. So, I was, I remember listening to hip hop. People were getting like sort of uh, interested that I was listening to the sort of hip hop I was listening to. I was making friends, but it was an open prison. And I got the feeling there that you could be yourself. And whilst you still have to be on your toes and things do happen, you can build relationships with people quite well. And people identify with good people and they, you know, will call you a good person. And then that kind of uplifts you in your situation. So I guess I was already on that flex. Uh, not to say I came out and changed my life. I was still, you know, uh, struggling. But uh, right. I met a friend, uh, a friend who, <laughs> by the way, my mum's medium when my grand died said a number of things were going to happen. And this actually was one of them because it was basically uh, a friend from your past is going to come back into your life and help you. Uh, and you're going to be successful in something around music. <laughs> and that was like, what? Okay. So, uh, yeah, the, the reality of that being said was uh, Gavin and I bumping into each other after years of being apart. He just lost his dad, been traveling around the world. And he could see I wasn't right, but I'd always looked out for him. We'd always had friendships. So um, we agreed to meet. I think we went for a drink. And then it ended up with him coming back to my place. And then he was, like, quickly aware that there was a problem. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, without going into the details of those problems, I think, you know, I didn't have friends around me. I had a few who I would class as lifelong child friends, but 
you know, I didn't have friends around me other than friends I was on. Well, <laughs> now they call it on road, but you know, right. back then it was just like hanging out with friends, going for fried breakfast, going for drinks. That day just turned into a wild one, whether it's Monday, Tuesday, Sunday, whichever. Do you know what I mean? And things would happen. So, um, yeah, he could see that like I was deep in, yeah, deep in it, you know. So yeah. uh, he got me to speak to my landlady, uh, get her to like let me buy out of my rent commitment, you know, my my tenancy. I moved in with him and uh, he got a multi-gym and he put it in the garage and started training, started eating healthy, kept promoting this book, The Power of Now. <laughs> Just kept throwing this book in my face. And uh, yeah, one of my other friends, again, childhood friend, reappeared after snowboarding, came back to Cardiff, and then we just all like bonded. And uh, within that little brotherhood that we had, it quickly came about that we'd start skating again and we were talking about like the good old days and whatever, but I wasn't mm. thinking of skating as a thing to sort of harness me and push me forward. But what happened was I went to PC world and spent like 1500 quid on a compact computer thing. I think it was like when the flat screens first come out or something. And uh, I started downloading music, all those torrents, which now I wish never yeah. existed were, were I was, in, I was intrigued by it. My friends were telling me oh, I didn't get anything, you know? uh so i was like okay let's let's have a look you know and uh you know you sometimes you think you're downloading uh tila, tila rock but you're actually downloading clockwork orgy or something like that you know, it's just this <laughs> strange strange thing where it's not what you thought you were getting but right. you could get anything and i did start downloading loads and loads and loads of 80s hip-hop and stuff and then what were you downloading well, first it started off with the Electro Street Sounds albums because I had them all on vinyl and uh, some multiple copies of, and I and I literally didn't have a record player. So I was like, oh, yeah, I want to listen to them. And that that was the thing. I mean, I don't want to give credit to Morgan Khan, really, but, you know, that Street Sounds played a huge part in my life when I was young. And, you know, whilst I know some people are cringed by the idea because people were already real at this point, and that was just a sellout, you know, kind of business thing that doesn't have any strength in in, in the culture as such it, it influenced me it influenced a lot of people and i'm not i'm not i'm not gonna shy away from that so i'm I, you know, i'm proud i'm proud of the, those times the street sounds collection introduced me to a lot so i downloaded a load of it started listening to it and uh we even started doing breaking and i do you know what until this moment in time i've never thought of that so mark wanted to learn a windmill and we started moving the the, the 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 sort of like furniture and gavs and uh, start, started doing windmills. So yeah, and then we went to uh, New York Delhi. Went to New York Delhi. Uh, I bumped into uh, who, who became known to me as Bryce. Uh, he was serving there in his mum's uh, shop, and uh, yeah, basically. Uh, he was there. I remember he had his hair tied up. I think he had an Uprock Addicts T-shirt on. You know. And he was serving us a sandwich, very chatty, very, uh, very friendly guy, you know, and uh, started talking and he started telling me about this gig in the Toucan. And then I looked on the window and it was like an Africa Bambata uh, sort of uh, flyer for the Toucan for higher learning. So uh, I said to the boys, let's go, you know, that, that was, that was that. And I think Gav even said, well, this is it. This is, this is, this is, this is where you do it. Cause I guess we, we'd spoken about me dancing again and stuff. And um yeah, I mean, it's 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 so hard to truly pinpoint point those details because obviously it's a long time ago, but I do have a good memory to stuff. And and actually, it was that. It was literally a case of, well, then that's it. That's what we're doing. And I remember going out that night 
I think we had a few drinks, got a bit loose. Uh, I was wearing this 6876 uh, jacket that I bought in Druby, which uh, looked like Teddy Ruxpin. But uh, no, Teddy Ruxpin didn't wear a jacket. Anyway, I've always said that. Um, <laughs> so I'm there with this long orange mat. I guess like something Ian Brown would wear, to be honest, with a pair of wallabies. But um, anyway, I'm wearing this nice. mat. <clears throat> and uh, as we walk in there, there's like a circle. And uh, there's people dancing. These guys became known to me later as the Rock Addicts mm. and Physical Jerks. And uh, Joelle and La were really on fire together at that time. So, you know, you were very quickly taken by what they were doing. Um, but the Uprock Addicts were, you know, the Uprock Addicts. They were, they were the local heroes. They were known. They were fun people, you know, good people. Were involved in the skate scene, involved in you know, a lot of different parts of Cardiff and, and everybody knew him. Like Quam, for example, everybody in Wales knows who Quam is. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So yeah. they, they were very, like, charismatic and, like, characters, you know, Twist and Wildcard, um, Snipes. Uh, at the time, um, you know, uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy. Um, uh, McFly, uh, there was a guy called Tom, I believe, and I believe he might have been there that night, but, yeah, I maybe asked Bryce that. But anyway, they were going off uh, with the physical jerks, and uh, I did what my friend called a um, Juliet Jake moment off uh, Blues Brothers, where just like he cartwheels down the centre of the church, I just took my jacket off and just went off. And uh, I jumped in, threw down. I know I tried a windmill. I don't know how successful that windmill was. It was definitely two rotations, but I don't know if I jumped out of it. I don't know if I crashed. I don't know if I, if I caught a nice little freeze. I really don't know. But I came out of it like, like as if I just had a hit of something. It was just like, whoa. And there was like so many people high-fiving me. And like it was, yeah, he said it was like the Juliet Jake moment um, on the yeah. Blues Brothers. So that was a wild thing. And uh, that's the night that I also met uh, Brad Armour One, actually. But the Opera Addicts uh, became my friends that night. And uh, the next day, it was the next day was the 2003 UK Champs. And I know Quam went to that and some other people who I, who I didn't know at the time. Um, and uh, I went to Cate's. I actually ran from uh, Windsor Key in the Bay to Cate's, hoping I'd lose weight uh, by the time I got there so I could dance properly. Um, and I did actually for a while run there because that was something that I had to do. Um, I got quite big and <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't really healthy. I'd suffered so many injuries from skateboarding and fighting and just like jumping out of trees thinking I was Jackie Chan. Like my back was already busted up at, <laughs> at that point. Um, and I think I fell off the vert ramp in... Um, Oh, it's in Newport, this indoor skate park. I can't remember what it's called now, but um, it was an indoor skate park. Big, big indoor skate park. I think it got burned down. But yeah, I fell off the ramp in there. And that was my first, like, I can't move sciatica, like, you know, prolapse moment. And that was, yeah, that was before I started breaking again. That was like 2001. So yeah, right. coming back to breaking was a wild thing to be doing. But no, I just, I just jumped straight in and just started discovering my childhood all over again, all the things that, that represented me truly, not not the things I'd grown into an adult as and thought represented. I mean, I was very influenced by the negative aspects of hip-hop at that time through the 90s, late 90s and mm. earlier 2000s. And, uh, you know, everything was very negative and I was hanging around with negative people. So it wasn't like hip-hop. It wasn't like the upliftment, the inclusive, you know, 
warm feeling. Like, don't get me wrong, hip-hop isn't meant to be all cuddly and friendly and, and you know, pretend, you know, like, like rappers now do. I was on a negative one. Um, but now, obviously, hip-hop, I, I still listen to negative West Coast gangster hip-hop or, you know, I, I listen to all sorts of things. I watch all sorts of things. So, you know, it is it is whatever it is. It's not like when I was a kid, I probably romanticized it a little more and, and thought of that a little more, you know, like when I watched Juice, it pumped me up. When I watched Leon, it pumped me up. When I watched Goodfellas, it pumped me up. Like there was, I think I think with Leon or, 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 or Goodfellas, we actually did get end up in a brawl outside the pub after the thing because we were pumped up, do you know what I mean? Like so, <laughs> but, but, but as an adult now, like, right. you know, you, you can see the impact it has on younger people, but you also see it for what it is and you understand that that's not something you should you know, poison yourself with too much. And if you do approach right. those things uh, for, for, for enjoyment, which it is, films, aggressive, violent movies or aggressive, violent content lyrics, thrash metal or hip hop, whatever, then, you know, you, you know that all you're doing is just listening to something that's art. It's not, it's not real. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It can be, and sometimes it is. But, you know, it's, yeah, anyway, so, yeah. <laughs> There's a distinction, absolutely. There's a distinction to make. Seeing Breaking back then evolving, I guess, within its third generation at that time, how instrumental was Cardiff in raising a bar for you? Uh, I would say very instrumental in the fact that, from what I understood, and I'm not saying I had all the information at this time, but I very quickly learned a lot. Around 2003, there was uh, Apocadics, there was Physical Jerks, um, there was Newbridge Breakers, who then became H2, H2O. Um, there was the Blitz Boys. Um, there was uh, Swindon Boys, Toy Soldiers, uh, PRS, uh, Joey, Joey D and, and, and his crew. Um, there was Scotland B-Boys like Bull and that. Um, definitely London. Uh, but I think London, I don't know how foundations for sure. Uh, Children of the Monkey Baskets. Um, so there, there was a few crews for sure, but not loads. Uh, and Uproc Addicts were active. We were out um, doing, you know, uh, theatre events, club nights, car shows, um, fundraisers like in the Coal Exchange, uh, Secret Garden things, um, you know, and, and battling as well. But like that battling wasn't that much around. There was, there was um, Breaking Bread, in London, uh, Reading, um, I can't remember what that jam was called, but Reading jam was sick. I used to love that one. Reading, uh, stuff Bristol, you, you, Bristol would do stuff. People would come to the Toucan in Cardiff. Um, we started putting things on in Cate's early on, and there's actually a, a funny battle between uh, H2O and Uprock Addicts and me with a broken foot and crutches on the mic. Um, that's, I think, like 2004. Um, I still have a copy of that, actually. It's funny. But, uh, you know, we, we were doing little things. Like, I think then me and Brad did uh, Battle Cry um, 2005, that was, and we invited a crew down from Swindon, PRS crew. And then I think 2005, again, we did a, we brought Manchester, or 2006, we brought a Manchester crew down, uh, which we did in Berlin. It's a different venue, same, same thing. Uh, uh, yeah, battle cry, both both battle cries, and then I think like, I mean, breaking the bay was 
was starting off. I mean, I remember going to the very first meetings and, you know, getting this like Welsh cakes on slates, like all very fancy stuff. You don't get nothing like that now. Well, you don't even have bringing the bait. But um, yeah, you get all this fancy stuff and then you'd have everyone who was into some sort of like dance. They'd call it street dance or urban dance or whatever. It used to make me feel right. sick. But they'd have everyone there, all these community teams and stuff, which are brilliant, you know, but none of which had much, much knowledge on the dance styles. Like street dance or hip hop dance really is nonsense. <laughs> there's funk styles, there's social dance styles, there's breaking, do you know what I mean? There's, it's, it's like locking, popping. Well, you know, you, you, you get what I'm saying. So, mm. um, yeah, I think uh, there wasn't much, there was, there was a focus to a degree of some breakers were engaging with it, but it was more the street dancers in their minibuses with their made flags. So I think then Slam Jam 2007 was when I first really uh, put on a, a big jam. Um, that's not to say there wasn't other jams. Like, I mean, uh, Darren, DAJ, uh, he was doing an event uh, in Newbridge. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was happening. Um, second to none, I remember coming down to that early on as well. Uh, he had like a training club in the leisure centre as well. He'd have, he'd have loads of kids on mats just just trying all extreme stuff, and him shouting, just getting really passionate about it. So you know, it wasn't there was there was other stuff going on, of course, but like um, my direction with it was to sort of say, right, okay, uh, how can we bring high level b boys and b girls from outside of Wales into Wales to help develop what already is a vibrant scene. But not necessarily um, a very well-known competitive. I mean, there's incredible individuals for sure. Um, you know, some of the best power in, in in the world has been done in Newbridge. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, chaos, chaos has fantastic power to this day. Um, but like, the breaking side of it in the rest of the UK to me seemed like it was advancing in a different way. It was far more competitive competition where good people were battling good people and really wanted to make sure that we got in on that. So we would like, you know, go to jams and start building with people. And then, you know, we'd throw a jam. And I think Slam Jam 2007 was Wales versus England, or as it said on the flyer, England versus Cymru. And it was all a bit fun for the Millennium Centre to have a Welsh England dance off, you know? Mm. <laughs> so uh, we did that and we did it against Toy Soldiers and all of Wales, uh, well, all the good ones in Wales, uh, represented uh, Elemental Force. Um, it wasn't like Elemental Force was a crew at that time. Like it was, it was a business um, set up to, I guess, workshops with a focus, but also like act as a professional place for the development of breaking in, in Wales. And at that time, there was only, for me, truly, I believe, only Sing Crew who were that organised. No one else in the UK was organised. Like nowadays, everybody's doing it and people are doing it even if they shouldn't be doing it. It's like, it's just, it's, it's spread like wild mint. But back then it was different, you know? So right. Slam Jam was dope. Like Toy Soldiers, Sonny was in that jam as a young kid. Um, you know, it was it was dope. And then <clears throat> that's when I think, oh, and, and by the way, just to go back as well, there was After Down's uh, event, uh, which, which, uh, Dennis obviously got wind of this guy, Dennis from uh, Trinidad. He got wind of it and wanted to involve himself. He had this story of a, a partner who passed and her dying wish was something to do with breaking. I can't remember, but it was all a scam. But um, basically, 
he, he, he basically uh, infiltrated what Darren was doing, which is quite organic and real, and then tried to like push this concept of Welsh B-Boy Champs. So we had the Welsh B-Boy Champs from, well, 2004 was the Newbridge Champs, 2005 was the one that then became Welsh Champs at the Newbridge Centre. So, you know, however you look at it, it was infiltrated and, and, and Dennis pushed this thing forward. Um, and people bought into it, you know, the, the, the boy's dad, Lee, was very much involved. Um, Darren would get involved in terms of speaking to people and making things happen, but he didn't want nothing to do with it. He used to stress him out, <laughs> to be honest. So he wouldn't want to be too involved. And he was all about battling, like, do you know what I mean? Him, Hailstorm, shout to Hailstorm, dope ass B-girl, and, and no one in Wales has superseded her. So, you know, come on, girls, let's go. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but yeah, like th them and the boys, Foxy, uh, Molly, um, yeah, there was, you know, there was a there was a group group of of people very much all about the battling. Cardiff, I'd say more so about having a good time and uh, often getting paid, which is nothing wrong with that. But yeah, it was it was always fun. We'd always go out. In fact, we get paid and we drink what we got, and then we go and broke anyway. So it weren't <laughs> it weren't like a a, hustle, a sensible hustle. It was just we having a good time. But yeah, yeah, the scene the scene at that point was starting to come through. Obviously, Welsh champs raised the bar by bringing you know exceptionally high level people. Um, by the time I'd set up Elemental Force, I already had strong links with a lot of people. Obviously, I, I hosted the Welsh Champs uh, for the most part, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Like, it was a great, great experience. Um, I wouldn't say I was treated right, but that's another story and perhaps one of the reasons why we had so much beef. But ultimately, it was a great event, a great, great event that, that really inspired a lot of people um, in the breaking scene, but I didn't think it was inspiring a lot of people in Wales. I mean, it, it quickly divided the scene in Wales in 2005 when it became a competition and who's the best team in Wales, who's the best crew. Um, you know, arguably at the time, H2O was the better crew to battle. Um, but I think on reflection, it would have been nice if Wales had maybe stepped up at, uh, a combined crew and stuck together because I think that would have done a lot for our scene, you know. I think... Uh, yeah, a lot of the, the 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 dancers in Wales became spectators at the Wales Champs rather than participants, you know, and, you know, each to their own, I suppose. But, like, you know, I would try and throw in a crew once in a while. The Epoch Addicts danced one year, I think. I think it was the year, the 2005 year, that I was supposed to battle with Epoch Addicts, but I basically put my back out and was stretched out to hospital within 10 minutes of the jam starting. So I was out. I came back on crutches later that day, uh, yeah. but um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it was a passion of mine not only to work with young people, but also all these dancers that were so dope. I wanted Welsh dancers to be equally as dope, if not better. Like that was that was like all I could think of, and and I think DAJ used to always be about like you know let's let's take them out, let's take them out. He used to do this thing, and <laughs> I can't tell it you without showing you, but he used to like do this thing. We like draws his fingers under his throat and it's like, you're dead, you know, it's like, you're dead, it's war, it's war, war, war. And it'd be war, it would be war. He'd have his like Welsh flag bandana on, like which would be flopping up in the air after him doing multiple halos and just being like really aggressive. And I was all up on that too, you know, we both had our fair share of experiences around football violence and we were all into that and we were 80s boys. So it was like, Ah, you know, this is breaking. It's real. It's like real. No, we're not in New Bridge. We're in the Bronx. It's off. It's going off. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. and that was that was fun. We pushed that, but then, you know, it 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 didn't it didn't feel after that that uh, 
for for a while that you know Wales was was doing uh, anything to to try and like you know especially from Cardiff like Uproc Addicts didn't train to become contenders on a serious level. Do you know what I mean? They could have. Speaking of Wales and representation for a second, I'm curious as to if you can remember the first time you saw dancers fan out of Brecon. So around this time, uh, I would say that the, the first per- I've always remained in contact with uh, Rich and Jeff, the twins, and Stu Clark. Always stayed in contact with them. Um, Tisso, uh, Nez, few others, um, but like not 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 like on a on a face-to-face level very often, more so Rich, Stu and Jeff, but um, Tisso, who was my greatest inspiration, like, he, well, yeah, he, were, he was, he was, he, he, he kind of, um, him and John Besson, really, he, like, Tisso had, he used to let me go around his house when I was a little kid, and they were all the cool kids, he would lend me all his vinyl, no matter what, he gave me the uh, New York City Breakers album with the, with the poster, because he really was checking for me, he taught me how to weave laces, he would do anything to make me feel good. And and John Besson was the guy that taught me how to windmill on a, a, a very wet um, public toilet floor. So imagine the type of wet. But it was it was a heavy raining day as well. So a market uh, market toilets, like a cattle market toilet uh, floor. So so those two were significant. Uh, but yeah, Tisso, he came to uh, the Muni Art Centre around 2008 um, unannounced. Or, or no, I think he did tell me he was going to come, but but come to me unannounced on a message and was like, "Yep, yeah, I found you. I'm coming." And he came, bust the windmill, bust the turtle, almost broke his wrist, and then we went to Witherspoons while I left uh, a tutor run the session, and we just had like, I think we actually did have a coffee. Uh, I'll tell you if it was a beer, but I think we actually had a coffee, and uh, yeah, we then caught up after that. So. We stayed in contact for a little while, and recently, more recently, we have had more contact and discussions about you know our, our history and heritage in, in Bracken and H two, um, because for me, H two was the crew. That was the real crew, the crew that like dominated. They had all the moves, and they were they were looking fresh. They were dope. So, yeah, Tisso Tisso was from that crew. So you know, seeing him later on and him walk into the Muni Arts Centre at a Get Fresh event, and then me tell the kids who he is. And their reception to him and his reception to them, like it was just like wow. So that was that was like a, an arrival moment, you know what I mean? Like when you're like, yeah, we got this. And then it just felt real. Like it felt it felt like everything in my childhood that was my childhood that was almost make believe yet real because I made it real. My environment, my existence was, you know, off what I was watching, which was and listening to. So yeah, it was very, very real. So then to have him come into my life when I'm then revisiting this world and obviously starting to do a lot of youth work in this world, for him to come in, it, it really meant a lot, to be fair, like it really did. And I think if H2O hadn't called themselves H2O, I would have definitely have gone with a crew called H2. We wouldn't have been called Style Under Pressure. So, so basically, I moved from London, I moved to London after living with Gavin, coming back to this dance, being part of Uprock Addicts, progressing uh, with Uprock Addicts. You know, I think you know we we, we represented UK in Poland uh, as a UK team um, back in two thousand and five. I think it was two thousand and five. So, or two thousand and four, maybe. Um, so I, I was with them and that was all going great. But then I moved to London for a while, came back and I had nowhere to live. So 
Brad sort of uh, offered me uh, somewhere to live. He again, remember, I met him the first night I threw down back in two thousand three, and and, I'd, and then I'd met all his friends and aligned myself with Jaffa, the the god. You know what I mean? Like with 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 Beto, the king, and like Hoax, the style master, and Kevin. The, the legend that will never die. Do you know what I mean? I'd met all these yeah. people already and grown with Brad and we were like family. I was CVK. I am CVK. Like it's my, it's my one crew that actually is a real functioning ongoing crew. Like SUP isn't an ongoing crew. <laughs> it, it wants to be. And I keep the energy and the essence right just in case I can inject kids into it um, or other adults that want to rep it. But yeah, I mean, CVK is my, 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 my family or my, Wife's friends are CVK wives and stuff. You know, it's like a bike club type setup. You know what I mean? But um, but basically, uh, yeah, hopes uh, and I have a different relationship because me and Brad live together. You know, me and Beth have a. they're all equally the same. Like love them dearly. But I lived with Brad. I was under his skin. I was getting him to do things for me because he was super creative, super talented, and uh, you know, it was even him that came up with the name Elemental Force. You know. Um, I was his best man, so you know. Ultimately, uh, me and Brad have have a have a strong bond. Um, he's very clever now, however, not not committing to stuff with me. I keep trying to get him to commit, but through the elemental four years, four sorry, elemental force years, through the elemental force years, <laughs> he was like the guy for everything: logos, flyers, websites, t-shirts, banners spray painted walls for photos like it would <laughs> do everything and uh yeah our, you know our friendship to this day is like super super dope and uh yeah they 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 have the same values you know we we, we all have a different um timeline like brad wasn't you know uh so much into like the hip-hop scene early early on um from what i understand but you know he's been around and he knows a lot so he was very well seasoned but um you know, like people like Beto, uh, Jaffa, Hoax, Kevin, uh, Foe, like those guys I can talk about the 80s, I can talk about the early 80s. I mean, I can talk about it with Brad, obviously, but I'm just saying it's like I feel yeah. like they they, they, they they had that 80s, like, flex, and uh, it, it's infectious when you're around that, you know, like you do you do find, like, brotherhoods with people, Um but Brad, Brad's a breath of fresh air. Like, if it wasn't for Brad, CDK wouldn't be CDK. Like, Brad came out on his own, dominated, made noise, and people had to take notice. And he became like besties with the the best. You know what I mean? And you know, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful family and brotherhood and sisterhood. Even because you know, our, our women are very much at the forefront of everything we do, and we all act hard, but they're the bosses. So you know, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, armor, legend, absolute legend, absolute legend. Let's talk about Elemental Force and the work you guys continue to do today, 16 years later. So Elemental Force took a little break. Um, I mean, ultimately, we had uh, you know a lot of successes with workshops through, through from 2007, a lot of successes with events through 2007. Um, you know, all the events that I've done, whether it be Slam Jam, that became you know then back to Breaking the Bay. Uh, whether it be Battle Cry, whether it be You Don't Stop, whether it be Roach Jam, uh, I mean, Supreme Cypher, the list goes on. Whatever whatever it is, uh, you know, we, we, we did it. Uh, it's documented and it was all super dope. Like everything was on point. Built up within that, 
uh, from Get Fresh, and those guys took it to a level where they were hungry as hell to take out Soul Mavericks and hungry as hell to dominate Europe and go as far as America if they could. So, you know, we've had a lot of success, um, real success, not, you know, fictitious or, 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 or uh, exaggerated success. We had real success and took its toll. I moved back to London in 2012, um, which interestingly was a fantastic year. 2012, I was, uh, my dance weight was like nine stone eight, nine stone 10. Uh, I was pretty much like, clean living wasn't doing any sort of bad things i was eating right i was you know really really getting healthy my dancing was at its best the kids were super dope they were charging me up um and then uh, my wife lost her job and through that uh transition we had to move to to london so she moved in the april came back on weekends and i stayed here until september when really Elemental Force was under a, a, a lot of concern, like what are we going to do? What, what's going to happen to sub kids? What's going to happen to get fresh? You know, and the funders, uh, I think, like the Pacific government would come in. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to make a judgment on them, but all government sort of, yeah, they will, yeah, anyway. But yeah, um, that came in. So obviously, first of all, Elemental Force had major success working with after-school clubs, I think, or youth free provision. That was brought in because they shut down youth centres. When conservatives come in, they shut down after-school facilities. So parents should look after their own kids and take care of their own kids. You know, the type of stuff rich people say to poor people. Um, but, yeah, he, he, it, it was a case of I moved to London. We had money in the bank from the business, and I just kept going back to Wales every single week, Tuesday morning, drive from Eden to Treherbert, I would stay in the Ronda for a couple of days, stay at Louis' house, stay at Starsky's house, um, stay in hotels, stay at my parents' house. And uh, I did that until 2014, but then we had self-sabotage, uh, self-sabotage actually, um, politics in the scene, drama, me not being in Wales. It was all very tough, tough times. And uh, it's, it sort of really fractured our, our bond and our, and our ability to continue to grow. So I think 2014, 14 to into 2015, like I, I literally had closed everything down, stopped coming to Wales. Uh, I was still doing Breaking the Bay, but I was, and was I doing anything else? Uh, I think I see, yeah, I did um, uh, Barry Breakout as well, which is a dope event on the beach, but um, all, all, all was still popping, really. Well, no, it wasn't. I, what am I on about? I always tell myself this. No, it wasn't. I was holding on to them because I couldn't let go and I wanted to grow but I couldn't grow because I was bitter. I was bitter and angry because I'd hurt myself so bad in 2012 that I was paralyzed pretty much for a few months. I had to spend 10, 11 days on Arma's floor in his living room and literally couldn't sleep, couldn't sit up, couldn't lie down. I had to literally go on all fours with pillows under me and hold my weight until I fell asleep. And then by falling asleep, it would like impinge and then it would wake me up and it was traumatic for 11 days. And I was so angry that I couldn't dance that I felt like I was slipping back to the older me from the 90s when I was on that negative flex. And in London, it was all good. I had great dancers, great artists, great hip hop heads, people around me, incredible people, old school legends even, you know, and uh, it just, I just didn't have my identity. I couldn't dance. Like, I think if I hadn't got injured and moved to London, bang, we would have we done stuff in London. I definitely know that. But um, yeah, I think 16 years, 
yeah, it has been running for 16 years, but there was a period of time between definitely from when I had my son uh, to the end of last year where I beat the dance out of me. I wasn't into hip hop. I was riding my Harley. I was listening to psychedelic rock. I was rock dancing. I still rock dance and I've learned a lot more about the rock dance scene since. But I don't really share it publicly, but yeah, I, I, I kind of didn't plan to bring Elemental Force back. It, it just happened to happen. Uh, big shout out to Elliot. He, he kind of uh, gets, gets my back quite often. So uh, he came through with an idea and uh, Elemental Force is back. Yeah, we're back. We're already teaching eight to nine hours a week, uh, which is interesting. I've got Mouse up here, been coming since January. He's fully involved, fully up for it. Uh, I've got Mr. Substance on the beat. So we've got like an NPC. We build a beat from scratch, teach foundation dance. We build a routine. We get the young people involved, like with their own instruments and their skills, their poetry, their spoken word, their rhymes, their singing. And we then make make something. And it, I mean, it's, it's so dope. It's so dope. It's not like we're back in the sense of we're trying to uh, build, you know, athletic b-boys right. or b-girls because that's it now it's all athletic you know it's all about the olympics yeah. and uh you know i i have no love for that but i don't have any hate either you know i just i just don't i i question its need and uh the way it has to be done isn't authentic so i feel like we're yet again compromising something magical but nevertheless don't want to sound like an angry old white man i'm gonna say that you know good for the young people who, who participate and push themselves as athletes in it I come from an art. It's an art form. It's not, you know, it's it's a culture. It's something I live every single day. It's not something I just put a shell suit on and represent my country for. So as long as people get that, then I, I think it can work just like skateboarding. But, um, you know, like it's Team GB. Why is it Team GB when it could be like Welsh teams, Irish teams, Scottish teams, you know, like you could argue there ain't strong enough people, but we can make strong people. I can make a team and then become John Candy and then take them to the Olympics, push our way in, bully our way in and then sing some people know that in order to believe south wales we have a breaking team <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean i'll be john candy in that flex i'd do that because that would be fun but other than that no nah, i'm not i'm not looking to to build athletic dancers i think if we can teach young people about the culture and those things can actually penetrate them and help them understand their true worth understand the people they can be and use the tools that hip hop does give you that can make you a great individual, then I'm all for that. And if people get amazing within that, which they probably will, because it's all done with honor, integrity, and true intent, then of course you're going to have powerful, amazing dancers. But, you know, we're just trying to build a community together. We're starting a new community for us under, under Elemental Force, you know, HQ, uh, Mouse, you know, bringing his Mouse House uh, style over and, really trying to support and help me, which is incredible. Um, helping the other people who continue to dance, you know, shout to Kai, shout to McLean, shout to Boost, you know, shout to shout to Callum, you know, these guys carried on dancing. And, uh, you know, whilst I'm, I know a lot of others can still dance, like Lee and myself even to a degree, um, I wouldn't say I'm uh, at my best right now, but at the end of the day, I can get in shape. I, I can make it happen, but... Um, you know, there, there is a scene still here, uh, a fragment, fragmented one. And, uh, you know, saw, saw like people come back last week down the Millennium Center on, on, on our session that I haven't seen for years. And 
you know, if we can bring that back and bring back a sort of like uh, a good vibe community, then then dope. But if we're talking about, you know, crews within the community battling, then whoever I represent is who I represent and everybody else is the enemy. And I mean that only on the dance floor. You know what I mean? Unless you don't understand that I only mean it on the dance floor, then we're never going to get on because you're going to think that like I'm aggressive, but it's not. It's 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 hip hop in its truest form. It's very alpha. Absolutely. You know, and 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 for me, that's what I represent. I'm not part of this new type of rap where you watch what you say. I'm not. I'm not interested in this new type of flex where you've got to overly promote things that involve rights because that's got nothing to do with it. It's all skill based. If you've got something you want to get off your chest. Say it by using your skill. Don't say it with average skill and then complain that you're not being respected because, you know, you're not getting the same love as people who are, are, are at the top of their game. That's the way it is, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I mean, I'm all about community first, but, um, you know, who knows? Sup, we may have another crew. And uh, if we do, like I said, we want to be the best and we will aim to be the best. And if anyone, you know, wants to go at it on the dance floor, great. Uh, the more they want to go off, the better. For me, yeah. 2014 represents the golden time uh, of Wales, like Illumination, which is a lot of the Cardiff and, and the, the, the New Bridge and, and Valley's heads, versus SUP, which was predominantly Welsh, obviously all from the Valleys. Uh, Foggy was uh, from up north. Um, Jai, he danced with us a few times, you know, as well. But like ultimately we were a Welsh crew and we wanted to be the best. And uh, I feel if you look at the 2014 battle between uh, Sup and Illumination, which I didn't battle in because I was still injured, um, the breaking was on fire. So, you know, maybe you need to get back to that if it's going to be fire again, you know, but people have to understand that it's just a dance. And I guess sometimes I have no filter. So I guess people would assume that uh, everything I say is literal. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I have quite a funny sense of humor too. I say stuff that shock people just for a laugh, but, um, <laughs> but, but, but that's just, that's dark humor. I know, but you know, I've always been like that. And and I come yeah. from savage school and I, my, my brother used to beat the hell out of me for letting him down. My brother once I went to, when I got beaten up and cried, begging him to come and help me. And he took me back down there, called out who was the guy that beat me up and then made me fight him again. So, <laughs> so, you know, I had savage schooling. I didn't, I didn't have all this like, you know, it, it, let's all feel safe and dance around the merry pole and have carrot cake. It wasn't, it wasn't like that for me. So, people nowadays they they play out hip hop. They they don't they pretend it. They don't they don't live it. Living it's very different. Um, but we do live in different times too. Absolutely, completely different times. I want to talk about this injury you've mentioned a couple of times throughout this conversation. You're blessed to still feel as energized and motivated as you do this far down your life as a breaker and. I was curious as to how, how do you mature as an Asian B-boy? Is there a trick to your longevity other than the next generation putting this battery in your back? Yeah, I think I think listening to the ones that know you best, listening to your body first, like that's 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 paramount. You have to listen to your body. You have to appreciate that your body is relying on you to look after it. It will look after you too, but there's things you have to do to look after it. Now, I've traditionally not done that, and I've done that with some stupid uh i don't give a attitude do you know what i mean and and i don't know why like i've always been a rebellious one i've always like you know been outspoken 
But uh, injuries have really plagued me and, and damaged my success in skateboarding, in braking, um, and potentially with my motorbiking if I was to have an injury uh, from, from an accident. Do you know what I mean? Like, let's be honest, like I, I, I could trip or, or I could slip off a curb and jolt my back and my sciatic uh, prolapse, my, my um, L2 disc is prolapsed. I don't think it will go as easily now because I've done a lot of work. I've worked with Ayurvedic therapists, uh, doing Tibetan medicine and, um, you know, mouse has been very good at helping me massage and then teaching me how to use my foam roller to massage myself and make better choices. And, uh, you know, I think now going back over the years, even when I was active, you know, people like Po One and Freeze and Foggy and Mouse and, the list goes on and on and on. Would say, look after your body. My wife would be like, "Come on, don't party so late. Look after your body." But I, I just, I don't know. It's like it's just always been like exciting to me to just be in amongst mm. it all and building memories with people and having experiences. So I think as an aging b boy, you have to take a step back. You have to learn to remove yourself from the forefront where you feel you always have to put on a show like the class clown or you have to deliver because you told yourself this is what you do and then you've got to live up to your unbelievable OCD standards. So that's ultimately why I bought a motorbike and set up Throttle Narcotics. Like Throttle Narcotics is me replacing actual narcotics by using my throttle. You know, I ride on my own. I've learned to be comfortable in my own space on my own. Um, now I crave that. I, I I want that all the time. And that's something I find really hard because I have a family and a lot of other commitments. But, you know, for me, the more I can take a step back, I've got into cold showers, uh, cold therapy. Uh, I started back when I was doing my travels with the sub kids to Sweden every year. Um, been doing that for a good 10 years now. And, you know, I have a cold shower in my garden. Uh, I wake up, I put on my mocha pot. I go out my cold water. I come in. I try, not always, because it doesn't always work. I try to try and control the day ahead of me by being positive and aware and at one with myself. And I think that's a huge thing that's going to help. I think learning to know your limits, <laughs> not being yeah. so gun ho and like trying to go for it. Like if you give me a skateboard in a skate park, watch me try and like do a hand plant out of a bowl even or watch me try to you know press a flip over a fun box at ridiculously high speeds because that's the sort of stuff I used to do and you'll probably find I'll try to do that immediately um so I have to really check myself and I think if I can take care of my body and 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 and, and hope for it to heal enough after what I put it through uh, and to and to learn to love myself within my body and be conscious of that all the time, you know, like I think you have to really think all the time about your health and well-being if you want to dance. You cannot be like a graph writer, staying up all night, smoking, drinking, uh, doing whatever else graffiti writers do, going out bombing trains, trying to avoid like electricity lines and stuff and, you know, spray painting in your mouth for years and years and years. <laughs> like, you know, breaking, unfortunately, you like, you can you could wrap in a wheelchair, you could DJ in a wheelchair with breaking, and you can break, you know, sorry, this shouldn't go there because you can break. There's no limit to breaking as people with no limbs dancing, but still, you know, you breaking requires you to stay healthy and and, and be really aware of, of your conditioning. You need to stretch. So 
all these things sound like effort to someone like me, but I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning. And that's, I think, the only way you're going to see me dancing. And you never know. Like, I might be in my 70s. I might become a TikTok sensation when I'm 70. Who knows? You never know. Well, we're talking about a form which is and, and still is a form of survival as much as a form of therapy for you, aren't we? For me, the significant thing that's been a, a, a massive, massive turning point in my life was when I came back to breaking in 2003. I was a lost soul. I'd lost control of myself through alcohol and drug misuse. I was extremely aggressive, extremely angry, um, and would hang around with people like that and become friends with people like that and get a reputation for being a, a no-filter stand-up dude, you know, and I believed that for a long time and, uh, you know, I can be that guy. I was good at it. That's the thing. I always get good at what I get into, but I don't know. Um, when I came back to break in, it was the most humbling experience. It felt like, like a religious thing, like a spiritual thing. Um, it felt like I was reborn and, uh, that's what drove me to do youth work in the way that I approached it because I just felt like what I went through didn't need to happen. There was like, moments in my childhood where people like Diane Black, Mr. Jeffries, um, you know, they they would acknowledge my dancing and think I was great. Tell my parents, actually, because we live in a town, so it was easy to have relationships with teachers, I suppose. And they would, like, speak highly of my skills. But everybody else thought, saw me as a pest and a nuisance. Um, but, yeah, like, I didn't really realise how talented I was at doing things that I loved and and I mean that in that I could have done whatever I wanted to do and I would have been good at it and uh like I, I took a lot of time to get over that especially after I got injured in 2012 like I couldn't accept that I'd gone through all that trauma unnecessarily and didn't get to carry on doing what I loved whether it be skateboarding or breaking um and you know from 2012 thinking that I was no longer going to dance again and that like I'd lost my identity and I had no value and no purpose. It was really, really strange. And although my London experience was amazing, like me and my wife had a really, really good time. You know, we developed live at Larry's in London in my living room, which was incredible. We're still doing that today, you know, but like right. it, 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 it changed for me. Like I met incredible people in London. I have alliances and friendships and brotherhoods and family now with people who I once as a kid would listen to. Like Basil, one of my best friends, he was in electro rock. He was also a dancer on uh, Mantronic's Baseline, the, the track video, the music video. Like I only found that out a few years ago, but like that was one of my favorite tracks back in the day was Mantronic's Baseline. And, uh, you know, he's like my best friend. Bionic London Posse, speak to him multiple times a week. Um, did an interview with him for Live at Larry's. London did great things. Me and Siren used to hang out, keep the faith. Yeah, one of the best. Uh, South American style, Graham Black, my Colombian homie. Like he, he tattooed loads of me when we were in London. Like London was dope, but I'd lost my dancing identity. And the only thing that I could do was party. And that just is a recipe for disaster because you just become the guy that just parties and you don't really have a purpose. You're not doing anything for any particular reason other than partying. Um, which is fun, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But uh, yeah, it's been it's been a, it's been a tough one, and and I think that now I truly understand the true value and the true 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 uh, wealth of this. And coming back to teaching now more than ever, 
there is a need to, to engage young people and support young people. They've been through a traumatic, awful experience, uh, which was COVID. You know, the way that they see the world is pretty much like uh, a dictated state where you were told what to do. They have no freedom. They have no dreams or aspirations. They're not really like going out now because now everyone talks about how the streets are run by the gangs and every program is gang related and glorifying stuff. Kids are terrified, you know? So for me, more than ever, it's now time to spread that message, let people know that hip hop does change lives, saves lives, and has a real purpose in our community. We've got to start looking out for each other. We've got to build communities again. The thing is, yeah. They broke down this idea of group think. They get they don't have b-boy crews even anymore because you can't control them and you can't find them to jams. It costs more than individuals. And individuals who go to jams can just see who others in the room. And if there's someone that's really good, they can join up and win the money. It's like it's all fakery now. It's not, it's not, you know, it's 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 almost like taking advantage of something. But if you take it back to where it needs to be with the young people, it's a chance to feel something, a sense of accomplishment. It's a chance to actually think about creative things that can actually align you with your true purpose. Not not you not thinking you're any good because the influence you're having from visual or hearing is negative putting you down. Like imagine there's kids out there whose parents put them down. You know, put them down. They're disappointed in them. They're a big disappointment to them because they're not who they wanted them to be. Like it's it shows that the parent themselves hasn't even grown up. You know, I've worked with young kids who I fixed and then like literally tried to influence some sort of change on the parent because, you know, they just got it all wrong. And it's a generational thing, right? Like it happens. Mm. But um, yeah, I think it's, it, it, is, it is as much as like, you know, finding God. It, it is that. And, uh, you know, shout to 4D, like 4D, 4D will tell you, he's another one. He's been through all kinds. Like he's been dragged upside down backwards through a flooded tunnel full of dead carcasses and barbed wire. That guy, he's, he's been through the mill. Look at him now, smashing yep. it, putting out music, it. putting out music and actually loving life and trying really hard to be the person he knows he's supposed to be. Um, and, that, and that's through hip hop. Like say no more. Like, do you know what I mean? You could, you could talk for hours of people who've been saved from this and people who've lost their lives over this. That's the other thing. Like, Nowadays, hip hop is portrayed in such a negative way that it is actually orchestrating death. Drill music, which isn't to me hip hop, but comes from the whole idea of hip hop, is about orchestrating death. You know, everything is death related. You've got to wear North Face, you've got to talk death, and you've got to talk drugs. And like, that's not, that's not what it's supposed to be. That hip hop was created to stop all that. And whilst we can't name a certain individual because of certain reasons, that individual and his team, his crew, built something significant enough to stop gang violence in a city gang violence in New York City that was completely out of control. And you could argue that it did the same in L.A., you know, especially when certain uh, rappers became of a certain stature and stayed in their communities and educated people and brought them in and gave them better lives. For me... Hip hop is to help enrich communities and help people have better quality of lives. That's what I represent, which is why, unpublicly, I stay proud to my roots with Universal Zulu Nation. Like I will always, always, uh, you know, represent Zulu Nation for what it did for me, but condemn, you know, for 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 what it did for other people in the sense of with the man Bambata. Um, but ultimately. You know, hip hop is 
a powerful, powerful, I don't know what to really call it. I want to call it like a, a drug, a solution. It's a powerful solution to a lot of problems in society. And unfortunately, that doesn't sell. So the other version will be the one that dominates, just like the faker of the people within the scene who are able to put themselves in positions will dictate and drive a scene forward opposed to those who really know how it's run and what it needs to be. That's what that's what it is. Looking back over those years we've talked about in this conversation, is there a specific moment that you think solidified the true meaning of hip hop and turned it into purpose for you? Mm. It's an interesting one. Uh, oh, there's a few really, I mean, obviously I've talked a lot about the, the youth work influence. I mean, and, and, and the yeah. comeback and the fixing of my life. Of course, those things are huge and could be the answer to that question. I'm going to pick one off the wall just because it needs to be mentioned. I mean, when I when I moved to London, I was already affiliated with certain UK Zulu kings, uh, the likes of Echo, uh, Basil, um, Fingers. And, um, you know, we tried to run a, a Zulu Nation Wales um, <laughs> with not that much success, really. I think people didn't quite get the idea and, and where we were coming from. I think we could have approached it much, much better, me and Fordy especially. But... Um, yeah, I think uh, I think for me, when I moved to London and I got really well affiliated with Basil and uh, King Echo, I think it was just like incredible that I was talking to men who were boys, older boys than me when I was a kid, on TV or on, you know music channels or music shows at that time there wasn't music channels i suppose i mean yeah there was mtv you know meeting all these people getting to know these people and actually being friends with these people was absolutely insane and i think whilst now that just seems normal and i never think of it like that i'd, I'd like to always class that as a, a significant thing and, and a solidifying thing for me because it's almost like i wear it like a badge of honor they let me in because i because i I represented what it is they did so well. So they let me in. Mm. And I think that that's like, that was when I became like a fully patched member, so to speak. Um, arguably now there's difference of views on that because I went to London, a white male from Cardiff, uh, and I didn't have a place in documenting the London underground scene. Basil did. Basil's an OG from the UK. Um, but for some reason, certain individuals didn't like the fact that I was uh, at the forefront of that. And I know certain people didn't like the fact they did the uh, bionic interview because no one's interviewed him. And uh, I was the only person he was willing to do it with because we were friends. We had a strong bond. We still do. Um, so that, that was that also, I saw that as my retirement because I didn't think we'd do another season of Larry's. I thought we'd do season one. We'd run it for a couple of years like we did and that would be it done. But then Basil instigated it. And now we've done a couple of interviews, which no one's seen yet. And we're about to do a couple more. So, you know, it is different now. But yeah, at the time, I saw that as I moved back to Wales and I retired from hip hop because I'd reached my uh, dream status. I'd succeeded as a dancer and a youth uh, dance teacher, practitioner, worker, whatever. Um, and I'd, you know, had professional experiences dancing traveling competing sponsorship i had it so i was like you know cool that's it 
right? Get a motorbike, go buy a Harley and just ride and just start learning that culture now. And that's what you're going to do until you die. That's what I was going to do. But uh, yeah, it, um, it has its habit of pulling you back in. And now just seeing like the momentum we're gaining so fast, it's like, it's, it's overwhelming if I'm honest. I'm struggling at times to get my head around it, but I do have mouse by my side a good three days a week. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's really helping to uh, to push me back in. So, you know, you never know. Slamo coming to a dance floor near you. Of all the events you've put on, you've described you don't stop as, as the pinnacle of everything you've done and achieved until that point. What was it a work for you about you don't stop? You don't stop work for me because <clears throat> I listened. I listened to the dancers that I was meeting. I listened to the fact that people were fed up with competitions that you had to literally go to, you know, like the Welsh Champs, you had to go to the Leisure Centre with all the lights on and that's where spectators would sit and you would put on a show. And to me, that seems a little artificial. Um, everybody was doing that today. That's that's all it is. That's just, I mean, from what I understand, there's, there's definitely underground jams and stuff, but a lot of the time it's these horrible, almost like shopping mall type battles because the lights and everything, that's, that's all I can call it, really. And then just below average hosts. And yeah, I don't know. It's just a weird one. And it's so political, the judging system now. But anyway, um, I got caught up in that, didn't I? But uh, yeah, going back to You Don't Stop, um, it was to create a Radiotron Roxy environment. That's why we had the, the really expensive, like scaffolding built for the DJs up on the tower with massive uh armor and hoax artwork uh and then real no expense beard on lighting and you know we, we really we really pushed the boat i posted a photo actually uh today of a 2009 you don't stop and like just the colors the vibrance the energy the the beauty of it you can see it in the picture and it was absolutely incredible dancers would have to dance for three hours where judges would also be involved dancing in ciphers, just ciphers, dark rooms with spotlights on circles. You know, it was it was like very theatrical and like we were, we were doing it for real. And uh, yeah, you dance for three hours, then the judges would pick a top 16 and then those 16 would dance on stage. You'd have a real jam and then you'd have your competition. Um, yeah, we had international girls, international girls flying in um, just to show uh, the young girls in the Ronda, the girls can get loose and they can be as good as boys, if not better. And we did a girl competition. We had uh, Hailstorm and Tanya won it. Incredible. Um, you know, they went up against um, some fierce dancers, really. And, uh, you know, that was a dope thing to do at that time, to put a lot of effort on the B-girls. You know, afterwards, you had a lot of B-girl events crop up, but back then you didn't. At Bubbles, who was famous, famous from Electro Rock for being the only girl in a B-boy crew, uh, the B-boys. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but like, you know, I had her hosting with me. And then the other two, they both were incredible as well. You know, we had Menno, we had Poe uh, and Freeze as judges. And then the last one was super sick, the 2012 one. Both 2012 You Don't Stop and Breaking the Bay were incredible. I and mean, you can find those videos online. But um. Yeah, You Don't Stop was just like a different energy for me. And everybody would say the same, you know, even Lee once came, uh, Lee from B-Boy Wales and was like, yeah, this is, this is sick. Like, cause it was different. It wasn't like Welsh Champs, you know, Welsh Champs was Welsh Champs. You Don't Stop was You Don't Stop. Both equally incredible events, but, you know, they were different. And uh, there was a certain thing that people liked about You Don't Stop. So 
you know, I hope to bring that back. There is plans to bring that back um, this year, actually. So what's the space nice. on that one? But yeah, it won't be anywhere near as grand. I mean, that last one I flew in, flew in and covered uh, transport costs for over 100 people. Um, so some people obviously in the UK, but I was inviting crews. Um, we spent around 40 grand. Um, and that was the budget which I was also supposed to take a cut for, from as a payment to myself for doing it. I didn't get paid a penny for that. Um, I even lost three grand putting on an after party. <laughs> so, but, but still, to get to what it was and have that memory of that explosive event, um, mm. it, took, it took everything it had for me. And I think that's the other thing. I can only do this to a certain extent for a certain amount of time because you know, it really starts to, like, it comes into my home. Like it takes over my life, you know, like it doesn't allow for me to have the normal balance that others have. You know, most people just go to work nine to five, stay at home with their family in the evening and do something on the weekend. I try to do that and a hundred thousand other things. have people staying at my house, doing projects for free, paying for projects out of my own pocket just to get them off the ground. You know, it's, 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 it's more than work to me. If it was about work and getting paid, I'd do something else. I'd go back to selling cars or, or doing all the other stuff that I do, you know, I do logistics sure. work and stuff. But the hip hop thing, it's just, it's just, it's what I'm supposed to be doing. Unfortunately, I feel like I'm a disciple. I used to call myself the Zulu disciple. You know, I've got to spread this message. I've got to get it out there, and that's that's something I don't think I can ever stop. So it's hard because, especially now, there's way more politics, and way more rules, and way more outrage, and you know. You can't just tell people what you think anymore without potentially, you know, getting caught up in something on a legal level even, you know, like people are so like weak now. It's like a nanny state. So, you know, my approach may have to change and it may almost limit as well how I behave and how I move. But I, I have no choice. I have to do something to help, you know, the growth of, of a community that I feel so passionate about. There it is. What about Barry Breakout? Do you have a favorite Barry Breakout memory that kind of solidifies everything that represents in a body as, as an event? Oh, all were dope. The best one for me was when we filmed live at Larry's, though, because, you know, we would have great crowds. It, we were very lucky. It always happened on a sunny day. And although it was under the sort of pavilion thing, it's like a, like a tunneled area at Barry Island, <clears throat> it was it was always really busy and it was sunny and it was August, you know what I mean? So... We'd have a massive crowd. We would have like live music. We would have a massive graph wall. Uh, we'd have battles. Um, you know, I think the last one, we put up 40 odd people in this crazy old quirky hotel, like Faulty Towers in Barry. Um, they're all memorable, but yeah, the, 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 sorry, the, uh, the live at Lowry's year was incredible. Like doing an interview with Basil and uh, Freeze on the big wheel was something else. Like we all thought the bolts were going to undo and we were going to die. <laughs> <Like that. laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, shout, shout to the guys who, who helped make Barry break out with me. I mean, it, it was an incredible event. And uh, I guess if I hadn't have completely sort of turned my back on things for a minute, we, we probably still would do that. I think that's, uh, that's for sure. But, you know, things have their time, don't they? They, they don't always yeah. continue. And if you want to do it as a business, they can't be as, they are they can't be as magical because you have to have rules to how much you spend and what you spend your money on and you're looking to spend as little as possible so me i'm painting a picture a portrait i'm bringing something to life do you know what i mean like even even in the school discos 
And then the events I used to run as a teenager, I used to run like a jungle night as a teenager. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a hip hop night. We used to have like um, squat parties. We used to do squat parties and it was like crazy. But, you know, it was always for the energy and it was always for the love and the fun. If you, if you want to do events as a business, then this is what's going to happen. You're going to have sponsors. You're going to have different outcomes required. You're going to have to sell certain things of yourself and of what you believe to make it achievable. And, and I'm not judging people. I don't like it, but I'm not judging people who do. I just hope the people that do understand what they're doing and keep checking themselves and bring themselves back to, to, to where it needs to be. But, um, yeah. You know, it's, it's all about money now. Everybody's jumping on the bandwagon, jumping on this so-called 50 years of hip-hop, jumping on the bandwagon of of the Olympics and, you know, jumping on the bandwagon of, of like, now just, like, dance that isn't breaking that they think is breaking. So a lot of education needs to be done and a lot of people need to to to, to really try and preserve and protect the true essence of, of, of our culture, you know? Like, whatever type of element you're into within hip-hop and now people talk of multiple elements you know beat digging and production and all sorts deserve their spots which they do but you know traditionally the four or five elements you know people even had problems with the fifth element being knowledge because they're like no 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 it's just four elements then you got graffiti writers saying no but we're not part of hip-hop we're just like we're just listening to deep purple and painting trains it was you that made us look like we're with you because you started copying our characters i mean so yeah it's it's uh yeah it's wild When you look back on all of the contributions you've given Wales and the rest of the UK, what is it that sticks out most for you looking back over what you've done? What sticks out is the um, the fact that certain individuals that, that I hold in the highest regard who represent this culture from all over the world, those people recognised what I was doing and when I say that, I don't mean they just said nice things when I was flying them in. They would go out of their way in their own time and, he, and would even deny payment to help the cause and would do anything for, for my young kids. Like they would they would be they would be at the end of a phone like Starsky could ring Poe one. Do you know what I mean? Starsky could go and stay with uh, Foggy like crazy. You know, I got to mention them like, you know, Specs, crazy, Penfold, uh, Lovebug, Starsky. Uh, you can see the connection there. Um, Louis, you know, like we, we, uh, Butch, like it, we, we was a family. Sophie, Sofly as well. She was, she was down with it in the, at one point, uh, confused, like, oh, wow. Like load, loads of things about that time for me, especially because watching Sup grow, this is why it would have been dope if they'd been called H2, but maybe they wouldn't have been as dope. I think Stalin the Precious Sup is who they were meant to be. So watching them grow and seeing the excitement from them and seeing the transition from their ignorance and naivety as young people in the upper Ronda, that's not to say people are naive and stupid in the Ronda, they're definitely not. They're sharp as anything. But, but like these young people didn't have much insight to what we were about to do. And they learned it, they explored it, they grew with it, they built their own relationships with people with it, and they trained hard as hell, way harder than I could ask them to train. Um, and I felt like that was just a beautiful thing because I'm seeing what I felt in front of me years later, you know? Like, so 
that that's 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 the golden moment for me. But it's also, uh, uh, you know, it's almost like a, a two sided coin because the demise of SUP, um, you know, put put me on the back foot. It stopped me being uh, a crew member. You know, let's not forget these were kids that I worked with through youth projects. Some of which were were disengaged projects, youth offending projects, PRUs, etc. They weren't kids who wanted to form a crew and were into it just for breaking. I found them and got them into breaking. But nevertheless, they did become family, true, true family that I, I to this day, if any of them ever needed anything from me, I'm there in minutes, like they're family to me. Um, they probably take a little longer to get to me, perhaps. <laughs> but, but I would be there at the drop of the hat um, because, you know, we, we went on a journey and it was beautiful, but it was also cursed. I, I shouldn't have been Uncle Mo. I gave him so much. I treated them way too well. There was no savage schooling, completely opposite. Um, but yeah, it was fun. It was absolutely hilarious. Like my wife would wake up in the middle of the night to find like a load of like Ronda boys on our floor in London eating and doing halos. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Rogue's Jam was very much a family event as well, wasn't it? Can you talk about those memories and experiences? I can tell you about Rogue's Jam. So me and Bryce were doing uh, Baseline Circus together, and uh, I decided it wasn't for me. I was with Donna. I was a puppy dog in love, and I didn't want to be away for periods of time, so I went home. And uh, I remember being at Bryce's, and uh, he was talking about um, this woman, Lou Lockwood, uh, who I didn't know, and I didn't know Bill or Rokes, as, as he was known. But Bryce was like, look, I'm going away on this tour, which was a baseline. And he was like, this woman really wants to put on an, an event. Do you want to speak to her? Like, and, and I did. I took, a, I took her number and I met with her and we became really, really good friends. And uh, I did everything in my power to, to make what she wanted a reality. Uh, obviously, Armour was very much involved in that too. In the early phase, it was really me, Armour and Lou uh, and a couple of the kids and, uh, you know, basically Bill's brother and sister um, and Kev's and Kev's um, from, uh, I can never say it, uh, Tassion, Tassion, is it? Tistion. Tistion, sorry, yes, Tistion. Um, we would meet at the house uh, and we would go out for food and Lou would come around here and we would really try to try and protect her for what she wanted and also serve something to the community. And obviously Brad uh, and the CVK boys were like, obviously able to instantly bring in top, top level artists. You know what I mean? And yeah, it was, it, it was super, super dope. I think Roach Jam grew too fast and grew out of control for Lou. And she was trying to make everybody feel a part of it and pulling people in who then were <laughs> basically helping her and then sending her invoices um and yeah i mean it was weird i i, I feel like ropes jam should never have stopped but then again lou only ever wanted it to be as a memorial for her or a celebration for her son she didn't want htv itv or whatever down there she didn't want the bbc down there she didn't want all this exposure and all this stuff because all it kept doing was reliving something she obviously didn't want to think about or or have to acknowledge, but it was like constant. Oh, tell us how you felt when your son died. Well, what do you think I felt like? Do you know what I mean? So, you know, I think it really, it traumatized her. And I, and I, I feel sad for that um, because, you know, it, it was a beautiful thing to be involved in. 
I really gave everything I could to help her and and the family. And yeah, it's it, it's a shame that it didn't continue in the way that it was going. It was the last year just blew up out of control. She got a lot of funding, and uh, everybody started like circling it. It was like pigeons outside Miss Millie's. It was crazy. Crazy. What about Supreme Cipher? So Supreme Cipher was a much more down-to-earth thing that would happen on a Saturday in the Millennium Centre. Um, basically, I moved back from London, but I was still very much, as I still am, connected to, to Basil. And uh, he was running a project called uh, Power Up in East London, in Islington. Uh, in, it's in, in Lanestone, sorry. Uh, he, was, he was running a, 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 a project called Power Up in Leightonstone. And um, basically... They were like calisthenics, you know, pull-ups on the bars, muscle-ups, all this weighted vest stuff, these masks where you don't really, you have restricted breathing. There'd be like chains and weights hanging off their legs. This was some barbaric sort of American prison-style stuff going off, but they were super talented dudes. And he was super passionate about this. This was his thing that he started doing after he stopped dancing, you know, and he was really hench with it. So we started bringing them down from London and his young people uh, to dance with the sub kids at the Millennium Centre where we used to have a Saturday session in the foyer. Um, so we'd have the big bar frame doing pull-ups and press-ups and all that while dancing was going off next to it, while old people are trying to get to the matinee or to the, uh, or to the uh, National Opera show uh, and tutting at us because we're in their way. Um, but yeah, Supreme Cypher was, was fun. Um, I don't think it really was meant to be anything more than just a little Saturday jam. Like we didn't really have any budget. It wasn't like, I think we did a competition actually. The last one we did was a competition. Um, and it just typically would, you know, you'd have people in in, in the centre on a Saturday, especially if it was a sunny day and they see dancing, you draw a crowd. So it was good. It, it was good. Um, but yeah, I think... Uh, it was it was that was towards the end that was towards the end of what i was doing as far as events i mean i, I did carry on with live at larry's events um and those events were, were great did a great one in the tram shed where we got family quest who who hadn't been together for over 30 years to perform together and do an interview for larry's together don't really get the props we should get for that <laughs> you know people say people say oh yeah you know it's like there was nothing really to hear, it wasn't that interesting. Well, what, what do you want to hear? Like, there's, these were a significant group from back in the early 80s that haven't been even each other's company for over 30 years. They just spent the evening together in an Airbnb, and it was like it was like a, a Silla Black show, surprise, surprise. So what do you want from them? Do you know I mean, the fact they were together and that they still have that connection, surely that's got to be enough, right? That's like <laughs> – but but people like to criticise and critique. But, um, yeah. But yeah, and then we did the last event, which was the last event I did was in 2019 in London, a live at Larry's event where we took a busload, two busloads of Cardiff people and we had our London family just all come together and get loose. We did, you know, everything there, like a proper hip hop event would expect. The whole building was graphed out. Um, yeah, it was that was that was real hip hop. There is again on Live at Larry's is an interview, uh, interviews on there. We teamed up with the hold up with that one. So there's a lot of like the Welsh uh, MCs and stuff were there. So, yeah, I mean, Supreme Cypher was one of the last things I did, but the Live at Larry's events were truly the last events I did. And they they definitely uh, reinstated credibility in the, in the type of quality that, 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 I, that I was so passionate about delivering, you know? 
as far as I'm concerned, I've done what I wanted to do. I'm not going to be a competitive dancer as such. Um, you know, I want to enable people to be what they want to be. But, you know, I don't I don't either want to be someone to live my dreams through them. Do you know what I mean? Like I have my own thing now. Like I want to do hip hop theater and I want to express differently. Like I also MC a lot more now. Um, find that a form of therapy. So it kind of it's kind of different for me, but I think this will be better because uh, you know, unfortunately, I gave it everything and I, and it became my life. I had no, I don't think I really enjoyed doing it that much for myself. It got to the point where I was doing so much for everyone else, and then getting offended when people would say, "Oh, Slam was just out for himself." I'd be so conflicted over that that I would I would be deeply unhappy for the most part. <laughs> like even even days of events. I would struggle because, you know, I'd be having my own internal battle about things not being as good as I need them to be. And then having this kind of like strange relationship with people who I knew were dissing me, but then turning up and acting like friends because I'm putting on an event they can't miss. So, right. yeah, I think now, now it's different. Now it's different. Like I will approach the dance uh, in a way that's, uh, you know, suitable for a 46 year old. Um, I have dancers around me in their 50s and 60s. And I've seen a dancer in his 70s recently who is really good. Uh, so as long as I haven't um, done too much damage from my rock and roll lifestyle, then I think I can definitely get back on the floor consistently with style and class. Like that's, I won't be a, an athletic b-boy. <laughs> you might see a head spin or two, but you ain't going to see anything too powerful because I do not want to spend any more time worrying about whether I'm ever going to walk again. I've had a few episodes of that. So if I can help it, I'll try and condition and, and grow at a, at a, at a slower pace, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What's next for Slamo? What's next for Slamo? Wow. Um, well, this year is very much about workshops and hopefully uh, a celebration, which will have a, 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 you don't stop element to it. That's something that I hope to do in September. Um, subject to, to funds, obviously. I'm going to try and do it without funding and filling out forms. I just want to do it because I want to do it. Um, I also want to do it because it's a celebration of the 15-year anniversary last year that we didn't celebrate. Um, there was reasons for that. And uh, there's been reasons as well, like, you know, just suffering losses. Like, so, so many friends passing. I feel like I've had to really take stock of my life and, you know, what's next for me is, I said before, making better choices, being able to, you know, not let the ego jump in, not let the passion jump in, but just have a controlled head about what you're doing. Like, you know, like just don't, if if you don't stop, couldn't happen in 2015, which was my dream, that's okay. We'll do it in 2016. If it doesn't happen in 2016, it's okay. We'll do it in 2017. It will happen. Main thing for me is prioritizing my time and energy to the workshops to make them, you know, consistently fluid and, and grow and to then serve a purpose for those young people to signpost them to the Millennium Centre for now until we can get our own facility. That's the big thing for me. Um, and then also, you know, building building on my uh, on my motorbike love, um, doing some international rides, um, the logistics company that I have off the back of Throttle Narcotics. Now, like, Throttle Narcotics hasn't actually taken off yet in terms of my plans. I spend a lot of time filming uh, on a motorbike, looking at training, let's just say training, learning how to film properly without crashing. Uh, 
and being able to then put on rides and like little dance clips and little things that I want to do. That's the total narcotics that I want to do. But I have a logistics company called TN Lifestyle and Logistics. So that is where I make money from doing jobs. Um, like I said, I went to Kosovo last year, traveled all over the country, traveling as we speak, doing events and festivals. Um, but yeah, just focusing on my family, focusing more so on my son, who's five and desperate to dance being trained by mouse on a one-to-one -one weekly basis um yeah look out for that kid he, <laughs> trying to keep him under control is is really what's next for me and 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 next after next because until until i know he's safe enough to look after himself <laughs> which i don't know when that's going to be i think that's going to be my focus